Before we get started today, a little bit of context for those listeners who aren't as familiar with Patagonia's fleece as I am. When Courtney and I talk about the Snap Tea, we are referring to one of the company's most identifiable pieces. First introduced in 1985, the Snap Tea is a fleece pullover with plastic snaps and an offset snap pocket over the left breast. The pocket bag of the Snap Tea is made with the Suplex fabric that Courtney talks about at the beginning of our conversation. I have a particular affinity for the Snap Tea because it was my first article of clothing from Patagonia. My parents gave me a navy blue snap tee in 1994 for my 14th birthday, and I still have it. And I still love it. With that, here goes. A 20-year employee of Patagonia, Courtney Morgan is the senior designer on Patagonia's sportswear team, designing all things fleece. She is also the creative director for Recrafted, a Patagonia project begun in collaboration with the company's Warnware project. First developed to act as a set of tools to help customers take the position of mutual responsibility, extending the life of the products Patagonia makes by providing significant resources for responsible care, repair, reuse, resale, and recycling at the end of a garment's life. Recrafted features upcycled clothing and a variety of bags from used garments and liability fabrics. It was due in part to the Recrafted project that Courtney was listed in this month's Fast Company magazine as one of the most creative people in business, alongside the likes of CoverGirl and founder of the Algorithmic Justice League, Joy Bulamwini, actor Ryan Reynolds, choreographer Twyla Tharp, and Courtney's personal favorite, singer, songwriter, musician, record producer, artist, actor, writer, music theorist, and filmmaker, former talking head David Byrne. Like me, Courtney loves rivers, and she aspires to become a confident river runner, able to leap a class four rapid in a single oar stroke. She's also a professional amateur angler and a pretty darn good cook. In addition to her work at Patagonia, Courtney has produced a small batch of clothing, upcycled goods, as well as jewelry under the moniker Garment Farmer. She says her focus these days is on getting outside, away from screens and conditioned air, and into and upon her local water sources with her two pups, Ghost Dog Truth Seeker and Bobcat Bodhisattva the White. Why don't we jump right in and tell me a little bit about the Recrafted Project. Basically, it was born out of conversation with three women, two of which worked at Patagonia myself and a gal named Nellie Cohen. Really, it started like 20 years ago. I've been trying to do this kind of thing for for my entire career, always pushing to use up liability fabrics. We used to make a lot of SMU, which is like a special makeup. There was no designer on that, so it ended up being like bags and blankets. And it's like, how many bags and blankets do we need? The bags actually are great. They're the carry-all bag, but the blankets is okay. We have enough. And so it's something that's like just been in the back of my mind all along because coming from a background where I really didn't have a lot of money, I've always been super resourceful with materials, not just fabric, but like anything that I could get my hands on that was usable in some kind of creation. I think the goal with Recrafted is I really want to create a new way of manufacturing and that is using up our own waste. So not just post-consumer, but pre-production as well. All the components of Recrafted are basically a mixture of used clothing and then 
surplus fabric and trim that were like the glue to put it all back together again. So that's the goal is to just clean up our own waste. That's wonderful. You know, Adidas had that shoe that they made and it was all the same polymer so that it could be ground up and then melted down and respun and turned into another shoe. And then yeah. Nike's recently come out with the Space Hippie. You see large companies like that and you see companies like Patagonia that have kind of led the charge on this. But pre-production, I never heard it talked about in that way. How did you come to that? Well, to be honest, I came to it because of the the product that I was um, designing and, and managing, like specifically the Snap T was creating, you know, yards and yards and yards upon uh, waste with that little supplex pocket that you saw. You know, that's like barely, you know, five inches of fabric. And then there would be like all this leftovers. And so I wanted to create a way to deal with those leftovers. Yeah. And, and you did it by? Well, I've done it by actually consolidating colors across the board and then um, creating recrafted. That's exactly what I was using, that suplex trim on recrafted. And then have also gone on to inspire Patagonia to actually take a closer look at the waste and uh, start using it in actual uh, inline garment. That's awesome. There was a, a scarf line a few years ago that Natalie Channon from Alabama Channon put together. Was that your doing? Yeah, that wasn't my doing, but it was super inspired and inspiring. And, uh, you know, when I saw that years ago, I was like, these are amazing, but why are we not doing this? So really recrafted was a chance to also um, bring some of this upcycling into our own hands and really truly own what we were wasting and, and make it a, a Patagonia product. What's the future of clothing waste? Well, I'm hoping it'll be into uh, products like this or that companies across the globe will actually stop making so much and not over projecting what they think they're going to sell, like make less than that. There's no, there's nothing wrong with selling out of an item. That's the kind of stuff I want to do, man. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a hoarder. My dad might be a little bit of a hoarder. But like we love like rusty things and old metal. And so it comes out of that. But so the recrafted project, it, it, it ended up going through Warnware because I felt like that was the venue that could actually house it. Tell me a little bit about Warnware. So Warnware is Patagonia's used clothing program where we take back all of our gear. Like we have that lifetime ironclad guarantee. And so we're always going to take back gear anyway. But we had all this stuff piling up that we didn't knew, know what to do with. And we created a, a used apparel section of, of the company. So we repair it and then we'll put it online and sell it. And, and so, if, if I remember correctly, there are Warnware wagons as well. There's like a vehicle roadshow. Yeah, totally. There's a great Warnware tour where they go around to college campuses and they fix any gear, it doesn't have to be just Patagonia, and it's basically their whole motto, if it's broke, fix it. And so, um, super fun, I got to go on tour with them. Not on tour, but I got to go with them last year to Bard College, and it's just great to see what shows up. And like, these like vintage Patagonia pieces will show up and, and we'll just fix a zipper on it or fix certain things. And Some stuff ends up with a really unique patch, and then there's other people who want like the matching, 
And so that actually got sent to Reno. There was a vintage Patagonia that came in. It was a shelled cinchilla vest and it was red and it was like so faded and perfect. But the guy wanted a red patch on it and we didn't have anything on the road. So it actually ended up going to Reno. But and it's just what's such in, a cool What's in Reno? Reno is our distribution center and our repair center. Tell me a little bit about the repair center. That sounds fascinating. It is fascinating. Right now, it's a bit pared down because of COVID, but we have 60 repair technicians in there working all day, every day on repairs. We have so many repairs that we can't do them all, hence how Warnware kind of was created as a venue to be able to sell some of those clothes. Every time I've taken something back to a Patagonia store to have it repaired, yeah. they will inform me that there will be an added charge, and I don't think I've ever been charged. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about that value that Patagonia understands that by investing in something and having it repaired, Patagonia cares enough that you're taking steps that they're willing to cover the cost of repair more often than not. Yes, because the longer you keep it in rotation, the less the carbon footprint is and it doesn't end up in the landfill. That's so awesome. Have you had anything for a really long time that Patagonia's made? I have vintage Patagonia that, that wasn't from my childhood that I just came across. Sure. And then sure. as far as what I own Patagonia, a lot of stuff like from the 2011 era, stuff that I've made like snap tea prints. I don't have all the prints I ever designed for them, but I have a handful of them, including the one that I brought back in 2011, where we hadn't had a print in like over a decade in a snap tea. And then I have... The slingshot down vest, which is a I brought in, I'm pretty sure like 2009. Mm -hmm. So I have the original one where it was only snaps and no zipper. So it's like super cool and it's really dirty. <laughs> and I take it camping all the time and I, I love that thing. Okay, and then so what's like the thing that's been in your life the longest? Gosh, I I, I don't know. I I have plants that I... have been in my life for thirty years. It started out as a blog, like the stories we wear. Right. And it was all about those pieces that people have owned forever and ever. And the, the thing that happens to a thing, to a, a piece of your life, is that it gets imbued with story. That nick, that scratch, that cut, that hole, that patch, that seam, all that stuff is a story. That's Yosemite, that's Grand Canyon, that's Rocky Mountain yeah. National Park. And yeah. you carry those stories with you and it, it becomes a thing that you carry. And that's something right. I think Patagonia and, and you especially have done such a great job of imbuing story into stuff. Could you talk a little bit about that? There's so many stories that you have that you inject into a garment, you probably overlook them, but I'm curious when looking back what some of your favorite stories that you've been able to put into a thing have been. I, I love the snap tee. I didn't actually design the snap tee, but I brought life back to the snap tee. The snap tee has a soul of its own, which is why I love it. And it has so much character. And so I breathe life back into that program. And so that's my favorite thing. And then also the Retro X is another one. <laughs> and I, same like with you, like I, like when I design, I'm designing for Patagonia. And so I'm trying to instill it with that soul that has been with the company forever. And so I, I really keep that in mind every time I'm designing something is like, what, how does this tie back to our heritage? 
that's not always easy because then you have a lot of these product line managers who want something modern and they don't want heritage and they don't realize that heritage is what we need right now. Why do you say that? More than ever, like we need our strong grounded roots in things that are of quality and that are timeless and that are lasting with the way that our world is going. It's you need those tools, whether it's apparel or a knife or a fly rod or a bicycle, whatever, you need those tools that are like timeless. You don't need to update your fly rod every year. A lot of people talk about classics. And I do think that the Cinchilla Snap Tea is a classic. One of the things, one of the elements of the Snap Tea that I do find fascinating and quirky, and I didn't really learn the story behind it until I went to the archives in 2017, the, mm-hmm. uh, the offset snap on the pocket has a function. Can you talk a little bit about, do you know that story? No, you tell me the story. <laughs> you don't know it? Really? Not necessarily, no. Tell me the story. Oh, it's this. It's glasses. So when you put your glasses in and you like put your stem out of your glasses, it won't Uh jab you in the tit. And it really works. One of the sailors on the old Patagonia sailing team. Yeah. He told that story to Val. Val Franco. Val Franco in the, in the uh, archive. Anyway, uh, I love, I love stuff like that. And you brought that into this pocket as well. That angle is right here at the bottom of the retro X pocket. Let's go way back. Talk to me about your early days at Patagonia and perhaps what brought you to Patagonia. Could you, you know, start as far back as you want and get us just into your Patagonia days? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of esoteric stuff that happened there, so I'm not going to go into that part. But I basically, I started at Patagonia as a sample maker or, or sample technician, as we call them these days, in our forge, which is basically our R&D center. And I started there 20 years ago as a sewer. And I took the job just fresh coming out of a design school where I was working as a chef or cook rather, and not working in design yet. And I took the job as a sample maker because I knew that Patagonia would raise people up from within. That was their culture and that was their reputation at the time. And they still do that. They try and usually fill positions from within if they can. And so that's how I took the job. And it turned out to be a really great uh, learning experience because I really learned how to sew very well in that job. And so that makes me one of the unique designers that actually knows how to sew and put together a garment. And so it really actually helped me in my career later on. I spent three years as a sample maker there and then I had a short stint in an employee development position as a merchandiser in the stores. So I got to go down to Santa Monica and, you know, Flagstaff and Pasadena and basically merchandise the stores, which was really cool. I did a great heritage window with, like blacksmithing stuff, like an old anvil and all these blacksmith tools my dad had. And it was like vintage stand-up shorts and vintage pile. And it was, and then there was that picture of Rick and Yvonne hanging in the background. And uh, Yvonne even made fun of it. He's like, oh, why don't you put a wax statue of me in there? You know, <laughs> ha, 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 you know, kind of thing. But I was really proud of that window. It was so cool. 
And then that ended. And because of that position, it was like I gained some exposure in the rest of the company. And then a position opened in the design studio for assistant designer. And I applied for it and went after it really hard, like basically created this whole design presentation and all these ideas and all these like little kind of like playing cards, like a deck of just little sketches, tons and tons of little sketches that I did and got the job. I'm still like super analog. I do all my sketching uh, by hand prior to it ever going into Illustrator because the real creativity and the real flow happens through my hands. Yeah. Not through the computer. So I still draw everything by hand and then it has to be digitized once they buy off on a design. Is there anything that you've put together that's forthcoming that you're really excited about? Yeah. Yeah, then the next spring line, I, I did some really fun work. The Micro D, so you're familiar oh. with Micro D, right? It's been like super basic for a really long time. I gave it like a really fresh update, mostly in the fit. But then I also paired it with Houdini. You familiar with the Houdini fabric? So it's like our lightweight, windproof, uh, windbreaker, like yeah. super packable. So I've used, I'm mixing the Micro D with a little bit of Houdini. Oh, you are? Yeah. I'm excited yeah, about that. So when you say you're changing the fit, are you also changing like zipper profile? No. I mean, the only thing I've done is I've, I've put Vislon zippers on there, which to me are very heritage. It's supposed to be like our lightest weight fleece offering in the sportswear world. Like, as you know, we have the Alpine world that'll have, you know, other lightweight fleeces, but this is more in the sportswear world. And I've always been a huge fan of the Micro D. I feel like it's the cashmere of Cinchilla. It's great. We are going back to using the original PolarTech Micro-D as well. Micro-D compared to the Cinchilla Snap-Tee, and then there's also like a heavier Cinchilla Snap-Tee, right? There's like a lightweight and then a regular weight Cinchilla Snap-Tee. Micro-D is, you say it's the, the cashmere, lightest. but it's it's lightest. Yeah, it's the lightest. It's a, it's a 100 gram you know, weight, whereas the lightweight's a 200 gram, and then the other one is a 300. You've always been really entrepreneurial and you've always been somebody that I look up to because of your ability to merge your interests outside of work with your interests at work. Can you talk to me a little bit about Garment Farmer, how that's evolved over the years and, and what you're doing with it now? Really, it was created so that I could have the final say and stamp of approval on something. And I very much adhere to the wabi-sabi way of designing is that things don't have to be perfect. And in, in fact, I prefer them not to be. I like things that are kind of wonky in the way they fit, you know, yeah. um, like the turn of the century and things like that. So I produced a small line um, of Garment Farmer. The goal was to use up, you know, end bolts and um, surplus fabrics and dead stock. Um, but I got caught up in that that same old manufacturing machine that's been going on forever, um, and that really actually spoiled my passion for wanting to <laughs> create clothing. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing anything with Garment Farmer at the moment. I needed to step away and take a break from that. You know, I already have a full-time job where I'm creating clothing. But the next thing I want to create is something totally different. I don't want to necessarily do clothing. When I do do clothing, I want it to be more on a one-off scale or very small handmade, remade items, you know? Totally. Like a lot of the people I admire greatly are these amazing like vintage collecting, flea marketeer, 
crowd who are making one-offs. And that's what I, if I'm going to make apparel, that's what I want to do. I certainly don't want to be caught up in the apparel industry at this point. Does that make sense? Makes great sense. You're also, I've always known you to have great taste in jewelry, mostly turquoise. <laughs> Can you talk yeah, to me about it? wearing two of them right now. <laughs> this one has a great story. This is the one I wear every single day. This one um, I got at a, um, a yard sale on the side of the road in Klamath Falls, Oregon. I was driving to Alaska one year. I took five weeks off from Patagonia. It was like my first sabbatical. And I found it on the side of the road, this yard sale. And it was basically hidden underneath all this stuff in this old jewelry box. And I pulled it out and I put it on my hand and I was like, oh man, how much you want for that? And the guy's like, $30. I was like, okay, here you go. I think it's Kingman turquoise and it's probably Navajo made. It's like three stones, one on top of the other. And you wear it on your middle finger, is that right? I do. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think it's time that we switch over now to our second part of our program. This is the part of the show where we talk about what's in your cookies this week. It's meant to be, you know, it's meant to be fast and fun, a cultural conversation covering a few things from your browser history. It's also the opportunity for you to wax poetic about your favorite cookie. Courtney Morgan, what's in your cookies this week? Oh, recreation.gov seems to be the main uh, website I've been going to these days. Um, mostly getting looking at river permits, trying to, trying to get on some rivers um, that aren't in the lottery process, and then also applying for lottery on the rivers. So I've just been on recreation.gov a lot. Yeah, um. and, and when you say get on the rivers, you're talking about whitewater. Is that what you're talking about? Or... Correct, yes. And were you ever a guide? No, but I wish I were. So Me too. I was, I was just thinking about that the other day. I was looking at a pair of Chacos online and I was like, I've never owned Chacos. I've, I was a Tiva kid and I just, you know, always had like, I have had maybe two pairs in my life. Yeah. But like, I was like, oh man, like I want that Tiva tan. I want, I want that like that rower's oh, body. I totally have it right now. I'm jealous. Yeah. Well, I've got the tan. I definitely don't have the rower's body. Right. But that's what I like. I wish I'd been exposed to rivers at a much younger age, but growing up in Southern California, that just wasn't a thing, you know? Yeah. So now that I've discovered it, it's kind of like my obsession. Like in my next life, I want to be a river guide, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, where, where do you go around where you are? The Kern River. That's where I rode my first class three rapid. So that was cool. I mean, I'm a total beginner at it, but I'm basically yeah. wanting to get good enough to where I can row myself down a class three river. And so I'm, I'm there. I can do it. You know, you can do it too. It's it's not that hard. And so that's like the river obsession. And, and then someday I'll be confident enough to row like a, a class four, you know? Yeah, totally. I've been obsessed with Wendell Berry lately. I've just been reading a lot of his poetry and his short stories. And then I've listened to two of his books. There's a poem um, of his. It's called How to Be a Poet by Wendell Berry. And that one just like totally struck home for me across the board. And I've just been absorbing and reading as much as I can from, from Wendell lately. I'll be sure to link to How to Be a Poet when we share this on All Plat Out. 
let's talk about entire world and Scott Sternberg and the sweatpants forever article. The thing that I found fascinating is he was a CAA agent who took old rep stripe neckties that were super wide and he cut them down to a one inch or one and a half inch wide tie and sold yeah. them, made yeah. a bunch of money from that, then had all his, his entertainment clients wearing his ties. He started making clothes. They were wearing his clothes. And the next thing you know, he's getting he's got investors, he's got a full line, but it's all this layers of prep and layers of formality. Yeah. And when that all fell apart, he took the pendulum and he swung it all the way in the other direction. Sweatpants, sweatshirts, t-shirts, mock turtlenecks. Yeah. Your aesthetic has never really changed. There's been a little bit of high, a little bit of low, a little bit of vintage, a little bit of tech. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you've kept the pendulum from swinging? My aesthetic, I feel like, is like a Japanese workwear slash vintage French aesthetic, you know? And so that, obviously, my aesthetic has evolved over the years. I mean, sure. I used to dress like all completely in uh, monochromatic. In my early days, there was purple. I went through a purple phase. I wore all purple, purple everything, purple camo, purple boots, purple hair. And then, then there was a year where it was all green. I was wearing just green, shades of green, shades of brown. So, and I've been really mostly stuck on blue for quite a long time. I discovered indigo before everybody and their brother kind of, before it blew up as a trend in the U.S., I fell in love right. with indigo. From traveling to Japan and from the brand 45 RPM, which you know and I love for their craftsmanship and the, the value that's in a piece of indigo, something that's been dipped 30 times, is just amazing. And I do actually have a, an old a pair of 45 RPM pants that I bought in 2005, maybe. Yeah. And I've outgrown them and then I've gotten back into them and I've outgrown them, but they still are staying there until I can fit back into them again or not. But I repaired them, you know, and, but they're indigo and they just get better and better over the years. Totally. Um, but I'm I, looking at the recrafted jacket that you have behind you and it is very much in this sort of French fisherman meets Japanese workwear meets yeah. hyper indigo dyed aesthetic. While working at a Patagonia store, a Tibetan monk came in and was looking at the down sweater and tried it on and she said, I, I need this, but I need it without the neck. Yeah. And I think I even typed it into customer, uh, comments. customer yeah. comments and said, make these without the neck. And you did. And the recrafted line is a reflection of that. There's... It's very much an Asian aesthetic. I'm curious why you chose not to have a collar on your first iteration of the recrafted line. I want it. So basically that recrafted down jacket is made out of one of our iconic pieces, which is the down sweater. And then of course mixed in with the other down pieces that were in the palette that we received as well. I took the collar off. I took all zippers off. I wanted it to have a very old world aesthetic. I, I very much am in love with just a single needle machine and a buttonhole and a button. I just want to keep it simple. And then that also makes it very repairable too, without having glued seams and zippers and all that kind of stuff on it. And then obviously I'm influenced by trend as well, or maybe I influence trend sometimes. I'm not sure. For myself, wearing all those layers of collar on collar on collar, it's like, I went fishing one time, I had three zippers stacked up this thick. 
And so you don't need all that all the time. So for me, like having the collarless jacket is where you can have your scarf, you know, and wrap it and wear it comfortably. So it's really about comfort. I love it. I love it. Okay. What is your favorite cookie? My favorite real life cookie for eating? Yeah. Homemade shortbread. It's so easy to make. It's the easiest, quickest cookie you can possibly make. There's like two ingredients and butter being one of them. And then you can mix it up with whatever. Like I made one with uh, toasted hazelnuts from Oregon. And then I made one with rosemary. And I really want to make one with bacon and <laughs> gruyere maybe. Yeah. And a little bit of herbs de Provence. I don't know. But what I like about it too is that it's not too sweet. Totally. I'll, I'll be sure to include your recipe on the blog. And we'll add bacon and gruyere to it. It'll be great. Okay, I think we're on to our version of the Proustian questionnaire. If you had a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> the ability to end all suffering. <laughs> if you were a cocktail, what kind of cocktail would you be and why? I would be the elixir of life, which was, a, I think I invented it myself, but it may have been a reproduction of something I had somewhere. And it's vodka with a homemade, delicious green juice, like with celery, parsley, ginger, and cucumber and lemon in it. And then lemon juice, ginger simple syrup, and then a splash of soda on a lot of rocks. <laughs> and uh, the name, the elixir of life is what, why I would be that cocktail is because that's what I want to feel. I want to feel that, uh, the vitality and the joie de vie and the wind in my sails and all that good stuff. <laughs> Sounds delicious. I can't wait to try it. In oh, fact, it's so good, dude. It's so I'm going to, I'm going to do one of those tonight. I need it. Do it. Need it's it. That's so good. The week I've had. <laughs> okay. Whose face would you like to see on the dollar bill? I would like to see mother nature's face on the dollar bill. I would like to see some redwood trees and Half Dome and Yosemite and the Grand Canyon. Amen. What's the yeah. first article of clothing you reach for in the morning? Oh, my cashmere cardigan. Oh, and, and I have this pair of moccasins made by this lady. She's called Old War Horse, and she's in Oregon. And she's been hand-making moccasins since she was, like, six years old. Crazy. Yeah, uh, I, first, really cool. I first heard about her from Jay Carroll uh, when yeah. he was doing that maiden uh, campaign for Levi's and the video yeah. that he made. And I was just so inspired. She lives her lifestyle. Lot. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's wild. Okay, what's your battle armor? What I put on to go to war? Yeah. Turquoise. Mostly turquoise because it protects you from negative energy and I usually wear it like right over my heart and I need like a full suit, but I don't have <laughs> A full suit um, of turquoise. I have a, a vintage army fatigue that would be pre-1970, so pre-Vietnam, I believe, that is from, there's this rad couple at the Rose Bowl flea market who collects them and then hand embroiders daisies on each one. So it's kind of like a flower power fatigue. It's a Shanana mill. What's your favorite background noise? Hugh Masakela. I just discovered his music through a friend. And if you put him like on Pandora, the mix is really beautiful. You get a lot of John Coltrane, Herbie Hancock, and 
So that's been my go-to lately. Yeah, Hugh Masekela, may he rest in peace. What song motivates you? Hercules by Aaron Neville. It's basically about kind of don't let anything stop you, you know, even if there's naysayers or haters, you just got to keep going on. And so you got to be Hercules, you know, it must be Hercules. And the, the whole tune is just beautiful too. It's a great song to like dance to in like a meditative kind of way. Yeah. Okay, so walking by a television set somewhere in the world and there's a movie playing and you have to stop and finish the movie. What movie is that for you? (laughs) Moonrise Kingdom or anything by Wes Anderson. You have a very sort of playful way about how you go about the world. I'm imagining that that's what you're attracted to with him, but is there anything specifically (laughs) as it relates to Wes that you like love? I think you're right. I think I feel like my neighborhood sometimes is a Wes Anderson film. You know what I mean? So like just the characters in it and the funny things that happen. I just feel like sometimes like you're living in a Wes Anderson film. You know what I mean? What, and what neighborhood the are you in? Well, I live in Ojai, California, but I live in a, a little part of it. It's called Miner's Oaks. And we call it Motown sometimes over here. It's just quirky, you know, and just the characters and like, Just these like kind of surreal moments that happen sometimes. Like it just feels very Wes Anderson-y. So I didn't even put that together until you said that, that that I actually feel like I live in a Wes Anderson film. Well, yeah, I think that you're like one week week away from Bill Murray showing up with a shotgun and a pair of Madras plaid pants. And (laughs) okay, so if you if you have achieved all of your goals in life, how would you feel? What what can you do to feel that way as you work to achieve them? Oh, golly. If I have just been able to make someone feel good, that would be a goal achieved. Yeah. That's great. So, Courtney Morgan, what is your motto? My motto lately has been a quote from Shanti Deva, who was a, a Buddhist monk from around the 12th century. If there's something you can do about it, why be upset? If there's nothing you can do about it, why be upset? It's really good so advice. It's really good advice. Yeah. I've been really trying to practice that. It's hard, but it's it helps a lot to remember. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been really fun. I have one last question for you. What, if anything, would you want people to leave knowing or having a better sense of? I just want them to know that they're worth something. And no matter what anybody says or doesn't say to you in the world, that you are worth something and that you are valuable and that you belong here and we need you. Oh, man, that's great. Courtney, I can't thank you enough for the time. You too. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Patagonia's Recrafted Project by going to warnware.patagonia.com forward slash shop forward slash recrafted that's warnware.patagonia.com forward slash shop forward slash recrafted my thanks again to patagonia senior designer of sportswear courtney morgan tune in next week when my guest will be renowned spanish actor jorge suquet keep working hard to know first who you are so that you can adorn yourself in the way that fits you best you and you alone this is the no first podcast The No First Podcast is a production of All Plaid Out. Our theme song is That's Right by Pop Villains. 
Thanks to Marla, Stella, and Ruby. Stay safe, stay healthy, and know first who you are. Grace.